It is a record-breaking day in Premier League history. The godfathers of the game, Sir Arsene Wenger. I know he's not a sir officially, but he's always a sir in my in my books. And Sir Alex Ferguson have been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame. The first and the only two managers so far that have made it. What a testament to their legacy. I want to start with you, Matthew. When you, obviously we discussed this news before we started recording about topics we're going to talk about today but when you heard that news that they'd both made it into the Premier League Hall of Fame what were your thoughts? About damn time it's about damn time it's been a long time waiting for like this kind of news to come through they are just like symbolic of the modern day Premier League that we know from like obviously Fergie started and then Wenger coming along with, like meeting his like his proper like nemesis like Batman to Superman Captain America to Iron Man sort of thing like you know, they're only as good as a sparring partner out there and they even though they brought like different qualities as managers and on the pitch, like they were just, they were fighting. Like it was, it was always so like difficult to tell of who was better than who. But like I said before, the Premier League wouldn't be what it is without them. I, you know, any self-respecting football fan, regardless of what team you support, regardless of how you view how they did things, we all know it to be true. And you know, most of us can get along and and say something like that. So they provide the entertainment, the drama on and off the pitch, their philosophies. That's what makes them so good is that they, it's not just what goes, they give a, a little bit of themselves on there and you can see like what makes them so good. Like they're giving every bit of, every bit of energy, like blood, sweat, tears, emotion, ideas. They sing, both of those managers had players singing their hymn, like singing whatever it was when when they got on that pitch. So it's, you know, first of many as far as Premier League legends, but they're like the OG of OGs. Yeah. So respect where respect is due. Congrats to both of them. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think the fact that having players that bought into your philosophy, like who were willing to put everything on the line, even a good slice of pizza, but, um, you know, that, that says a lot about them as managers and also the effect they had on the players. I guess for you, Mark, what would you say then is your enduring legacy and or enduring thoughts on the legacy of Sir Alex and Lord Arson, as I'll now refer to him? Well, when I think of Sir Alex Ferguson, I think of my entire spoiled childhood. So um, thanks for that, Mr. Mr. Ferguson. Um, but you know, that is the that is the testament, right? As a Liverpool fan, you know, you look at the the, the the body of work of Alex Ferguson and he came into Man United saying he was going to take Liverpool off their perch and, you know, he didn't just take us off our perch, but he threw us, you know, off the ceiling down into the gutter and stayed on that perch for a very long time. Um, you know, so he really did what he said he was going to do and you can't help but, you know, respect the, the greatness of his achievements. He is obviously one of the greatest managers of all time. Um, not sure I'm willing to go the greatest manager of all time, but you know, I think when you start to when you start to pull apart the you know, the 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 standards expected for the greatest manager of all time, you know, I think his weaknesses fall a little further down the pecking order than the weaknesses of some of the others that you compare. But all in all, um, no doubt the you know, one of the greatest managers of all time and definitely, you know, the along with Mr. Wenger, most influential manager in Premier League history. You know, Mr. Wenger was an absolute legend, um, changed the game, changed the philosophy of the Premier League, changed the culture of the Premier League. Um, his ability to, 
you know, find a penny, pick it up, and all his life he'll have good luck. Like, you know, he had them pennies like Anelka and Cola Torre and, you know, the bar- the bargains that he got at such cheap prices and turned them into absolute, you know, monsters of their generation. Like, um, yeah, he, he is an absolute iconic manager of, of, of our generation. Yeah, I mean, for me, it goes without saying, he, he just definitely cemented my love for football. Obviously, a lot for my my club, and um, yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson was. I mean, I think their rivalry is just the stuff of legend. I mean, you couldn't have written a better script to advertise the Premier League. I mean, I remember last episode we were talking about who would you say is like the poster player for the Premier League, and I think right now there probably isn't really one. I mean, you could argue De Bruyne, you could argue Haaland, you could argue Salah. I think of the three, I'd say Salah would definitely be the one you'd probably put front foremost as like around the world. If you said Premier League, they'd probably, you know, seven out of 10 people probably would say Mo Salah's name before any of the others. But if you think back to that era of time, if you thought of the Premier League, you would immediately say Sir Alex and Arsene. If you thought about like, you know, what defines the Premier League, you'd think of that Maynard Arsenal. You wouldn't even think much of Maynard Arsenal, that defines it. And that's a testament to these two men and, and their legacy. And for me, thinking about it from like an anime point of view, it really does remind me of like um, from Naruto, you had Sasuke versus Naruto and their, their constant battles. It's like the, just the way how they would approach things, uh, you know, their, their approach to squad building, their styles of football, their ability to reinvent themselves is very much akin to those two characters. Um, and fortunately for us in real life, it didn't lo- lead to a loss of limbs like it did for those two, but hey, at least just like Naruto and Sasuke, they are friends now, which is very weird to see. But hey, I guess that's what happens with age when you when you beat your adversary enough times and there's nothing left to take from him. You can become his friend, unfortunately for us, and that was the case. But I'm glad you mentioned about players, Mark. I think that's a good point in terms of like the squad building. And I want to throw this to you, Matthew, first, and then to you, Mark, you, Mark afterwards. What would you say was your favorite squad or your favorite team or season that these guys managed? So what was your favorite... United team under Ferguson, what was your favourite Arsenal team under Arsene? So this is like a funny one to answer because you could always, whatever team really you go for in their prime, it's always going to be a really decent team because they're always fighting at the top end in like the league or maybe in like the FA Cup or going as far as say against the finals of a Champions League and always being in that European buffer, Mm. you know, and they made their stadiums Highbury and Emirates and Old Trafford respectively absolute fortresses like the fear of God what put into them when you get in there as for squads it's, it's tough I think I know one Arsenal one first because I've always had the bump loving living with an Arsenal fan it's always easy to see it'd be obvious to go with the, inter- the Invincibles but that's not the team I watched the most on TV the team I watched the most on TV was a 2001-2002 team which was a great team believe me I know FA Cup final didn't exactly go my way so I Definitely, no. Tony Adams last um, as, I think, his captain. I think he retired that season. And I think he had a great final against... Um, uh, I think it was against Liverpool. You played played against... I think you played Liverpool. And I think you just had a great bunch of players. Not uh, not necessarily your best team, but you had a great bunch of players like the likes of Turam... Not Turam, sorry. Uh, Wiltor, the likes of Henri. Like, yet to reach the levels that we know to him now. The likes of Carnu. Um, Dixon, Seaman, like it was a kind of a mixture of like what's going to come against what was already there. So, you know, the the, the sturdy defence against that kind of European twisty flair that he loved like so much and what he brought to the Premier League, like Marcus said, that kind of international flair that hadn't really been seen in the Premier League. Like before you go, you know, like it's like normally you get like a burger and chips 
he's coming with like lobster and foie gras sort of thing. So that's the appeal he has. And the Man United team is tough. Mm. I can't, I couldn't stand these guys for our rivalry. <laughs> I couldn't stand. There was no love there. Absolutely no love. But I'm going to go for a strange one because I'm a strange guy. Mm. I'm going to go for a, a strange one because it just proved the influence that he had when he was there. I'm going to go for his last team. And I'll tell you why. Oof. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. And this is a testament to the man. So if anything, if anything, I'm complimenting the guy. Because the exact same team, the following season, didn't just, it didn't just not win the Premier League, but didn't even finish in Europe. And this is the same team that Moyes had in 2014. This 2013 team still managed to go on and win the Premier League in his last year. And he had likes of what? I think he still might have had O'Shea. He still had Fletcher. He still had Rudy, who was like carrying the team at this moment. Yep. Um, David De Gea was still coming, kind of coming through. He had like what? Valencia, Smalling, Jones. Um, Van Persie. Um, Robin Van, Van, Persie. Van Persie, who was like, you Weapon know. Weapon to the title. It was a... <laughs> he did what he did and that's what happened but it was a testament because the next year they were an absolute shadow I mean they were fin I think they eventually finished seventh so if anything that was my one of my favorite I wasn't too bothered about that to them at that point because I knew it was going to go downhill but that if anything not necessarily my favorite team but a key moment to just the kind of influence that he had when he was there to go from first to seventh with the same team yeah I know it's bad is that's bad or good for him anyway so yeah Says a lot. Okay. And for you, Mark, what would you say are your two favourite Fenger and Fergie teams? Yeah, you see, when I was thinking about this for Arsenal, I I was more drawn to style of football than particular teams. I think that the thing that I liked about Arsenal and the way that Wenger played um, over his time there, and he managed to get a handful of different iterations of this, was was the silky stylish passing flowing football um and you know the players that came with that type of football so whether it's Sandy Cazola or my favorite of all of them Andre Arshavin um or um you know um Alexander Haleb um or you know even making Jack Wilkshire seems you know like a silky Spanish footballer for a you know a period I think was quite impressive. Maybe Wenger's biggest achievement in football in history. Um, oh, steady. <laughs> um, well, that's well, my boy well, right well, there. You, you, know. You, you know, he didn't win the Champions League, so you know. Um, uh, but um, but yeah, these, these types of these types of players, you know, and obviously you know you know Seth Fabregas is the is the kind of captain of of them types of players. But Thomas Rosicki, like, yeah, like the, the names just keep coming and flowing of these types of silky attacking midfield footballers that connected the play, Meta Ozil, um, that, that we don't have many of today. And Man United um, hated them. Like everything about them growing up. Like nothing about the Man United team, any of them teams were enjoyable for me. Um, you know, they were winning titles pretty much every two years. Um, and, you know, I am... I'm with Matthew on this. There was really no love lost. It, it was not a fun relationship. Um, you know, obviously, you you know, with great teeth, credit what they did um, and, you know, the success that they had. And, you know, anyone that is a is a true, you know, United fan would point to, you know, the gigs and Beckham on, you know, the flanks and, you know, the likes of Keane and, you know, um, 
you know that 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 you know Scalzi in midfield, um, you know, and if you know you kind of move on then to the Ronaldo's um, that came on after that. But in all honesty, you know, from my perspective, it, it's just it's so much trauma um, <laughs> that I, I don't really have a favorite United team. I can't put favorite and United in the same sentence. I'm sorry. All right, how how about if I said uh, the team you hated the least? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that might be a better compromise. Oh, oh, oh like, yeah, again, under, under, under Fergie, the ones that didn't win the title. <laughs> like, you know, like, and they, they only ever finished, what, second or third. But like, you know, yeah, my, my favourite United team was the one where Mancini robbed them of the title, yes. you know, on, on, on the last day of the season. When they're there away at Sunderland, full-time whistle's gone. <laughs> they think they won the title. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're all happy. Oh, like, that's my favourite United team. No, that's, the that's ones fair. that were crushed on the field yes. afterwards. No, that, yes. That's fair. That's, I mean, I feel like we, we can all safely say that was definitely a memorable moment in Premier League history. And one that, I mean, just the reaction of the players, you know, once they realised that, you know, that they'd lost it. Ferguson's reaction, boys... Get, get in the tunnel. Get, no, forget the clapping. Get in, just get in there now. You, you, you just go, there's a little whistle. Get in. Get in. Get all this clapping nonsense. You guys failed. You let me down. Beautiful. Uh, we lost to them, of all people. Um, definitely was a beautiful moment. I mean, I, I, I can pick a Man United team. And I'm actually going to pick one way at the beginning of Ferguson's time. I think for me, the one that really stands out the most is the 99 squad, the treble winning team. Uh, I think that team had a lot of the hallmarks of what an actual Man United team should look like. They played great football. They had two or three great strikers, four, if you count Solskjaer as well, because they had, you know, Cole, York, Sheringham, I was yeah. believe there, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like, a testament to squad building, the fact that you could keep those four strikers, give them more game time, and they were all scoring good goals and important goals in the run to achieving their goals. From an Arsenal point of view, it was, that season was frustrating because... We, we were there and thereabouts for all three trophies, uh, not the League Cup, but the, the, yeah, actually all three were there and thereabouts. But, you know, we just had, um, we kind of chucked the League Cup away. Um, FA Cup, I think Liverpool, you guys might have. No, no, Treble, they, no, it was the FA, they won the FA, Premier League and the Champions League. Yeah, yeah League I, Cup, I, I know in, in the Cups, we, we, we just threw it away and it wasn't a good time. And of the League, yeah, had a couple of dodgy run of results and away you go. But hey, it's fine because we got them back a couple of years later. And then we, you know, and as Ferguson said himself, the one achievement that he can't top is the Invincibles. So if the great man said it himself, that's a bigger achievement than anything he's done in football. His words, not mine. Um, so, I mean, maybe I might be butchering what he said, but he did say it was an achievement that he's not, he's not personally done. This one that he will always admire Arsene Wenger for. I'm just interpreting that as him saying it's better than what I've done in football. But anyway, uh, and obviously for, for me, from the Arsenal point of view, I could pick any squad really, 97, 98. Classic squad, 01, 02, like you said, amazing squad, 03, 04. Um, but no, I will, I will give it to... Uh, I'm actually going to go for the same as you, 01, 02, because that team, you probably could argue, is probably a better squad than the Invincible squad. And but and the fact that team went won all of our home games the whole season, um, went on a run of 22 games unbeaten, barring a few lapses... Could have been an invincible year, which is why Vengas said the famous statement, I believe we can go that we can go a whole season unbeaten. Didn't work the didn't work the following season. The season after that it happened. So clearly saw some things there in in the players and the team that it could it could be happening. But you know, I want to start with this point for you, Marcus. Obviously, 
looking at the news today, you know, we think about transfers in general. And we're going to get onto a striker that has been dominating headlines and said some very interesting news this week, which might frustrate a lot of the younger players trying to break into the international setup. But um, you know, looking at what these these two great managers had and, and what was the archetype of their teams and looking at the current United and Arsenal squads, who would you think they would sign to make the current squad closer to their archetype of a squad? Yes, I, I think I think for Arsenal, you're looking at players that are ball playing, you know, midfielders, players that, you know, can control and dictate the game from the centre of the park like I, like I said I don't think there are, are too many examples um, in the modern day of your ones that do that further forward so you know Jamal Musiala is the best young attacking midfielder in world football in my opinion but I, I don't think he's quite there yet in terms of being able to you know dictate the, the, the play in the game um, you know so I think you're looking at then a bit deeper um, and you know, for me at Arsenal, you know, it would be looking for the likes of uh, Verratti um, or Kevin De Bruyne, obviously, you know, if we're being unrealistic in terms of actual ability to sign them, um, you know, or if you're looking at the future and kind of where the future is going, you're maybe looking at a Pedri, um, you know, as, as that type of midfielder, that archetype midfielder that is able to dictate the play, control the ball, um, you know, kind of like your Santi did, kind of, you know, like, you know, sitting in that as the third midfielder. You know, I, th I think I think Wenger would really like Odegaard um, and what Odegaard yeah. does, like, you know, that that type of player um, as well. And to be honest, I think, you know, I think, you know, he'd look at this midfield of, you know, for example, a midfield of Odegaard, Partey and Jorginho and be like, I could work with that. Like, you yeah. know, because Jorginho is the creative, you know, deeper lying type player parties more solid than you know um anything arsenal had in his later time obviously Vieira was sure. your man but um and, and Odegaard is that that kind of equivalent but I think you know you'd be looking at like a Varadi um a Pedri or a Kevin De Bruyne um for Man United um I think I think the thing about Ferguson was he and, and you know you touched on it Matthew's ability to get the best out of you know, people who I didn't even know could play football. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I look, I, I look at that Man United squad in his final season, and you're like, honestly, it's Robin van Persie carrying a bunch of old age pensioners that don't know how to play football anymore. Mm. Like, you're like, how how did this team not only win the title? But like won the title comfortably, like yeah. had a canter, like mm, nobody was anywhere is. near them, like you know. And then Fergie just retired off into the sunset, being like, "Well, that was easy. I just won the title with a retirement home team." Like, <laughs> but he did, like, True. you know, what he did, like. So I, I actually think there is no doubt in my mind that if Ferguson had this team that Man United currently have, he would compete for the title. He wouldn't need anyone. Like that 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 team of David de Gea. Dalla, Shaw, Varane, Martinez, Casemiro, Eriksson, Bruno, Sancho, um, um, Sancho, Rashford, Anthony. Like I honestly think he could win the title with that team because wow. he was he, he was just that good. Um, and and I think it shows we see that team is miles off the title as it currently is. But Ferguson's mentality 
is, is it was a different mentality. Like, and he would have drawn the best out of some of these players to the point where I think that team would be they've definitely been competing for a title with Fergie. The likes of signings, I'd, I'd maybe say a Declan Rice um, would be a a kind of good Fergie signing, a midfielder that's very reliable, very solid. Um, you know, someone who's got the legs and the ability to to kind of mm-hmm. offer a little bit of strength to his attacking players that are then able to go off and, and give you the flair that they have in United or have them players, you know, in the likes of Anthony and Sancho, Sancho and Rashford, if it all came together. The only other thing is an out-and-out striker, uh, but I, I'm not really sure who, who Fergie would sign as an out-and-out striker personally. Yeah, because I, I feel like he would probably pick... Because I'm also thinking like from a striking perspective, you, I'm trying to think of what's a player in a Premier League team that puts up good numbers consistently season in season, but it's not like... They're like tip. They're like they're like in the the sort of they're known as a reliable goal scorer, but they're not like it's not crazy numbers. Because you think about the players they've seen signed over the years. There's Saha from Fulham at the time. Rooney from Everton. But Rooney from Everton. Or Rooney's an exception because that was a wonder kid. And that's, that's the equivalent of picking up like a Phil Foden from City now. Berbatov. A cut price. Berbatov is a great example. A player yeah. who was getting goals, but you know, not massive, but he had something he could add to the team. I'm trying to think who would that player be now for that. Danny Welbeck. Bring back <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I think I think the player that would be interesting to see if they, I think maybe he could he could pick up that could be an interesting kind of gamble signing that could work out that way is Ian Acho at Leicester because he, he's just he's a weird player that he goes on streaks of scoring goals but he never really seems to get consistently picked for some bizarre reason. But yeah, I think the way he scores goals and the, the and the and the run he goes on, I think you could put him in a United team under Ferguson. He could comfortably get twenty in the league, which which is that's a big praise for Ian Acho. But every time I see him, when I see him on a goal scoring run, the t- it's the technique. I'm like this: the way he finishes, this guy should be starting every week, but he doesn't. For you, who would be in your? This was a tough struggle. one. This was a real struggle because I, I, I really can go along with what Marcus said about Arsenal, like priding themselves in that controlling midfield, like your Fabregas's, your Ozil's, Santis, going for the likes of even like, you know, your Vieira's and currently you have someone like Odegaard. So it was really tough. So I thought of something, something else. So I'm not going to necessarily think about what football skill, but I'm thinking about football character. Because if you look at those teams where Arsenal were, where they made Highbury the worst place for any away team to go to, you're going to need players with a bit of grit. In other words, you're going to need players with character who are devils to play on the pitch. So I can't give necessarily a name, but I'm like, a, a, someone with a real strong character lets it all hang out on the pitch. I remember stories, and I read about it, I think it was your old defender, Lauren, who would decimate people on the training ground and they yeah. did not like to play with him. And you saw that when it came to the games, he was not to be played with. The likes of Sol Campbell, big, like tough presence like, in character. Very mind this, there's a trend here because it's mostly on your defense. We can talk about your, you can talk about your flair going here, there, everywhere, forward, your midfield. Your, I think priding now, it would be something like a, a really good, strong character ball. Someone who's passionate about defending and only really like sometimes defending. So it keeps that fortress at the back nice and tight. And the, the players at the front can just have fun and do what they want. Like you can, you're already doing it now, now with terrorizing, terrorizing players, but it's always that gear to move ahead to let Odegaard do his thing and have the, the defence just like put up a wall. So it was really, really like kind of tough. I mean, it'd probably go along with what Marcus is saying really and truly, kind of coming to the same conclusion. With United, 
I'm going to go along with the fact that what made them so good, like we already said, is that the fact that they play best when they have more than one striker. They were able to, even up to up the 2007 season, what I really remember, I always remember looking at Sky Sports with the t- stats with the top scorers. And the thing is about seven of them, at least three or four were from Man United. They were consistently getting in those top, for like, well, even if it was like, I think the lowest one of them got was like 10 goals. And that was so shy for crying out loud in 2007. So maybe what they do need is not necessarily just, necessarily just one striker. They maybe need like four, three, at least three or four, but the market's really, really difficult. It would have been good. It would have been like ideal, say if they got Harry Kane, maybe like three, four, five years ago, because mm. he might be in a different position to where he is now. Or like you said before, he could have taken... Well, I think what Fergie liked to do, and the best business he did was in his own league, where he did with Berbatov, where he did with Saha, Alan Smith, Rio Ferdinand, um, Andy Cole. Um, I can't remember where he got Dar- um, Dwight York from, but he got him from somewhere. Um, Teve- Tevez, um, Van der Zaar, Rooney, I think Matthew Rooney ties, but some of the best things he did was, I'm pretty sure there's a striker in this league. You could take someone that's kind of, like a mid-card level striker, but can give him the right guidance and, you know, the encouragement, that kind of like strong, brutal encouragement from Fergie can end up bumping the numbers easily. So at, at best, their minimum striker is at least still getting into double figures. Who that striker is going to be could be anybody's guess. Someone like Ikenacho is a fantastic shout, but we also need someone that, you know, someone that can, can that would play, normally play second fiddle at a certain club, but be leading at another club. So I know he's massively injury prone, but I think he's got really good ability. And there's someone like Callum Wilson, maybe. Mm. Callum Wilson might be good because, you know, he could, it, there's, a, there's another level there. I just think he needs the right voice behind him. Um, so Callum Wilson, pretty, any, pretty much the vast majority of Premier League strikers that we have, he'd pinch them and turn them into like something, something completely different. I mean, it, it would have been interesting to see with the whole Saha problem we had with David Moyes, it would have been easy if he actually played under Fergie. It would have been really interesting to see if he actually got that Fergie experience with what had happened that happened in the first place. So name of, names is hard, but characters maybe a little bit easier to do, to go with. So I think it's what you like kind of picked up on. So that's what I think anyway. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think, I think just on the note of like, because I mentioned Inacho for Fergie, I think it could be an interesting shout. I think from an Arsenal point of view, there's, there's, I mean, there, there's lots of different players you could look at. You could look at someone like Matoma at Brighton. You think, because Wenger's gambled on like flair wide players before. And I think Matoma's got a good technical level where he could be quite interesting to the team. But there's one player that's in my head and I think he's got shades of players we've had in the past. Maybe not to the same standard, but because of his age, he could develop up to it. And it's Morgan Gibbs-White of um, Forest. I don't know. <laughs> you both look like what did really did not see, see that, that one, one coming. But like, he's, he's a very technical, tricky player. He's got good passing range, a really good passing range. Like, he's very technically gifted. As a, as an English player, I could see that being a project Wenger would, could would take on because he has gambled on English players before. He bought Francis Jeffers, failed on it. Obviously, we had the, the Walcotts, the Oxley Chamberlains, and you know the, the like of that. Ramsey, Wilshire, through the academy. Um, but I think he could be an interesting project project that he could get into. The player he reminds me of to an extent, and I stress to an extent before the commenters tell me you're crazy, is I see elements of Fleb in his game. Little bit. Not to the same... He's not there, but I, like there's his, his, his dribbling ability and his ability to kind of carry the ball, I see elements of Fleb in his game. Like, you know, the little version of Fleb. 
like the little little version of Flab, which which that's not bad because we you know I think Iwobi was the was the last um, was you know was the was the like the the Tesco version of Flab, you know, just couldn't shoot. Well, well actually, neither of them could shoot. So yeah, he really was a Tesco Valley version of Flab, whereas I feel like Gibbs White is the little version of Flab. So um, I think that could be an interesting shout there. But yeah, I mean. I'm very happy for them both. They've definitely done a lot to to be in, you know, where they are. And, um, you know, it's been quite interesting to see. And obviously, speaking of strikers, you mentioned Harry Kane. Harry, Harry Kane, England legend, the all-time top goal scorer for the national team. We'll give a single clap for that. I'll do. And um, obviously, there's the news come out today where he has said that he now wants to ch- ch- chase 100 goals now for England. And I thought that's quite interesting because you kind of think that he did say as long as he's available and he's fit to play, he will always put himself forward for every England squad. I can't see any England manager dropping him anytime soon. So we're going to have Kane playing into 35, 36 at this rate. Um, What do you think about that news, Mark, and the impact that might have on younger players? Like right now, Flo Balogun is considering his options, his national level. He's been like doing a little mini tour of America. It's been quite fun. Um, not saying that he's at the level, but obviously he's an exciting prospect who might be considering where he puts his flag down for international football for the next kind of decade or so. Yeah, well, look, I think at the end of the day, you know, up to the next generation to say, sorry, buddy, it's time to put, you know, your boot, hang up your boots and, and retire. And unless there's anyone that's going to be good enough to take that place from him, then I, you know, I don't see why we wouldn't go for the the best striker. Look at, look at, you know, good old Zlatan Ibrahimovic getting his boots on and, you know, having a run out for the national team at 41 years old, um, you know, in this international period that's just gone. And, you know, you know, Isak has, you know, I think cemented his place as Sweden's number one now, but like, you know, Zlatan was, was and has been you know, a brilliant player, you know, from 35 onwards still um, in his career. So that, that to me, you know, depending on how you age and develop, the, the thing about Harry Kane is like, you know, but for most of his early career, the, the criticism around Kane was all he's got his goals, all he's got his goals, he just scores goals, he just scores goals. And then all of a sudden, Harry Kane has this breakout season where all of a sudden he must have stolen Kevin De Bruyne for a year. Like, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, under Mourinho gets all these assists and you're like, I'm sorry, like, where did this come from? And, you know, you've got this complete player sweeping balls 40 yards across the field um, for Sun to run onto and, you know, hammer into the top corner. And you're thinking, wow, like, this guy is, he is complete. Like, you know, um, and, you know, I think the, 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 the fact remains that there isn't a young English striker that's going to that's gonna get anywhere near him anytime soon. So um, for that, I, I think, you know, he can and will probably continue to score goals for, for England and, and we'll see where, where he ends. Yeah, that's a good point about Zlatan and also about, you know, the, just the variety to Kane's game and how he's evolved. Obviously, I think there's been a lot of discourse about Kane and his career in general. I think obviously he's, like you say, he's, he's, he's more than a goal scorer and he's kind of shown that now. But there is this general perception of Kane as being very boring. Maybe that's because we don't know anything about his personal life outside of what he told us. Obviously, he swore in his daughter's life that he scored that goal all those seasons ago. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but we don't really know much about him. And, and you know, um, 
So there is that kind of perception that he is bored. But also I think the other thing is, and I'm wondering if this is, is an issue of, of nostalgia bias as opposed to actual reality of fact, is that when you think about the strikers we grew up on, especially the English strikers, you know, your Andy Coles, your Sharon M's, your Shearer's and the like, it doesn't really seem as exciting. He doesn't really seem to have had many moments that you can kind of look back on and say, oh, that was a great moment. Do you feel like it's unfair that people, do you think that the view people have of Kane is being affected by their kind of nostalgia-based view of football? Football's changed over mm. like the last 20 years, maybe the last 30 years. Like there was a bit more of an edge to the players that were, that we had growing up on, like, you know, like, like the ones you said, the clean like ones, the, for example, like Big Dunk and the thing that he, he used to do. He can never do those kind of things now because the expectation as a role model, as a face of the club, as a brand, that's what football is now for the most part is first and foremost for a lot of them, it's a brand. That's why they're moving stadiums. That's why they're trying to change the fan base, trying to make a more customer tourist oriented. You're not going to get that if you'll need strikers, headbutting police and thieves, you know. So it's as much to do with image nowadays I feel like he's playing it real safe to be like if I'm a captain of, of my country I'm vice captain and top scorer of my club and as well as my country if I want these opportunities it's, it's like you I know what social media is like nowadays like they'll yeah. they're, they're, they're vultures they'll find it they'll go back 20 years and find something on you and make it stick so that's why he's having this family old school straight cut football image so, so even though we're very much looking towards the future what he represents is still actually quite old so maybe that's why he doesn't have a kind of like a you know like he's not an Henri like Vavavum who made like the Renault Clio cool he's not a Vavavum you know he ain't got that swish about him you know like you know like your, even like like your Drogba's your, your, your Tevez's and things like that he doesn't have, he doesn't have like a kind of a kind of uh, like source about him, but maybe that's the nostalgia talking goes, that's, it's different nowadays. It's so, so different. Like Marcus said as well, having that one player to look at and define the Premier League is not as easy anymore. The kind of players where you have on the pitch that do certain things, it, it doesn't exist anymore. The play, all players are expected to do all things now. So I think that's why he, he's been judged quite harshly on that front because it's not his fault. It's, it's the way the game's moving. So it's kind of like you have to try and like, if you don't move on, you're going to, you're, you're going to forever curse what's, what's here right now. So you have to move along with it in order to truly appreciate it. And the simple fact is his numbers don't really lie. Yeah, it doesn't. And then when you think about comparing him to Rooney, I think both of them are the record. Well, Rooney was the record goal scorer for England. Obviously Kane's taken that. Rooney is the record goal scorer for Manchester United. So they have that parallel in the fact that for club and country, they were the top dog. And yet, when you think about throughout their times in the league, for Rooney's time, he always had to battle against someone else. Whether it was Omri in the beginning of his career, in terms of having that kind of global appeal as the guy. Then you had Ronaldo, who overshadowed him for a long time. And then, of course, you flip forward to Kane, and it's like you always put in someone else ahead of him. People will say Aguero, some would have said... Obviously, in the earlier days, Drogba were near the end. Obviously, Aguero. And then you're thinking now, you've got, like you call him, the Brock Lesnar football has just come in. And Kane would have probably thought, right, this is now Aguero's gone. I'm now the man in the Premier League. Kane's having an incredible season, just, just to add. Like, goal scoring-wise, he's doing really well. But then you, he looks up and there is Erling Haaland, who's just come out of nowhere and has just kind of made it look like all of Kane's best efforts look 
pointless and stupid. And I do do want to touch on that. It says like this this new emerging era because it does feel a lot like with um, Neymar in a way. You know, being kind of born in this generation where you've got Messi and Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo ahead of you, having grown up, you know, watching Ronaldinho and Ronaldo and the like, and now you've got and having Cristiano and uh, Lionel ahead of you you kind of don't really get an opportunity to fully shine and get your flowers. And I think for Kane, that might be the case. For you, Mark, do you feel like what Mbappe and Haaland represent now as as forwards, as strikers in world football, do you think that ultimately has had an effect on diminishing how people view Kane? And maybe it won't be until he retires that people properly, or wins a trophy, that properly, people properly value him and judge him. Oh, well, I, I, I think Lewandowski is the evidence that winning a trophy is not going to make much of a difference in, in, in that regard, right? Because yeah. Le- Lewandowski's won every trophy on offer to him for about five million years in a row. And still, you know, is it's almost like we just kind of skipped the generation, right? It was like, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, you know, <laughs> let, 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 let's forget that Benzema and Lewandowski have done anything or Kane, you know, have played football and we'll just go straight to Mbappe and Haaland. And, and I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lack of nuance to the, to, to the process when you, when you think about that, because, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I touched on it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, Everyone's raving about the season Erlen Haaland's had or is having. And yeah, he's going to break Premier League records. There's no doubt about it. But he's also still got to do this six seasons in a row to get anywhere close to what Messi and Ronaldo did in their career consistently. Like, you know, so I I know it's exciting. I know it's impressive. He's clearly on the trajectory. Um, But, you know... And and I and I have no doubt Erlen Haaland will probably be one of the greatest footballers of our of our generation. But I I also thought that when I was thinking about who was going to be the next best attacking midfielder in world football, if you'd have asked me that question five years ago, four years ago, I would have said Deli Ali. Wow, like, you know he, he I remember that goal he scored against Palace, which was like such a wild yeah. moment over. He got 17 goals from Cam, like, and he just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, and he looked absolutely untouchable, like, different level. And you're thinking, man, like, Tottenham have got something here. This guy is, you know, he's linked with Madrid, he's linked with Bayern Munich, he's going to go on to great things. Literally, last year, he got sent back on loan from Turkey because they didn't want him and couldn't even get in an Everton squad that was basically going to get relegated. What a fall from grace. Like, you know, so football is, I say that to say football is, 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 is a fascinating thing that I think we get excited about the, the new shiny toy in football, but we got to give credit where, where credit's due for the longevity that's been produced by the likes of, you know, Kareem, you know, Kareem um, and, you know, Robert Lewandowski and, you know, even Harry Kane, I think is worthy of, of, of a shout in that conversation too. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and and you're right. Nuance is always is always required and important. Obviously, the issue of this social media era is that everyone just cares about what well, the new shiny thing, and and you know Benzema is the current World Player of the Year, rightly deserved. Lewandowski was robbed of the Ballon d'Or a few seasons ago <laughs> because of you know that little thing that was flying around that made us all sick and cough and whatever. But and they could have still given him the award, but you know. They didn't want to break up the duopoly of Ronaldo and Messi. I'm joking. I don't know that for certain. I have my suspicions. 
<laughs> that's why he wasn't given it. And, and you know, he was robbed of it. That's why I'm glad Benzema got it because, I mean, they probably would have found a way to give it to Messi last season. Yeah. They were looking. It would have been a, an absolute travesty, but they were, they were looking. Um, I mean, I guess on that note, obviously, like you said, Lewandowski has won everything in football. Him and Benzema have been two of the best strikers in the world for the last, comfortably the last six, seven years. You know, different seasons you might have a higher output from one or the other, but they've always been in that conversation of top five strikers in the world. Luis Suarez, let's not discredit him, has been in that conversation as well. And one thing they, those guys all have in common, which unfortunately, and actually I'm going to add in one other name as well, who's, who's also part of the discussion, because he has got a trophy and he had a good two to three year run at it as Jen Ford, Englishman, Mr. Jamie Vardy. They've all won trophies. Jamie Vardy's got a couple of FA Cups now. FA Cup, a Community Shield, and of course, Premier League. Harry Kane has got none of those. And so the, the question I want to throw to you, I'll start with you, uh, Matthew, and then Mark, is do the trophies matter at the end of the day? I mean, they're going to be part of what you want. You know, you don't just get into football to get through it and have absolutely nothing to necessarily show it, no record, no kind of key moment or a shot to a final or something. So I think you are kind of, every player wants to go out and get some sort of silver. I mean, look what it meant to Leicester to win the Community Shield, the FA Cup and like the Premier League. You know, he, he could have easily left on one more another club, but he wanted to be that man and be the main focal point at Leicester. And some will argue, even though he's very much in his twilight years, he probably still is. And they'll look back at it and be like, wow, he was one of the main beacons of why we did what we did in that kind of, you know, four year period of success that we had. Um, it's, I don't think it's a straightforward answer. It's not straightforward because there are plenty of players out there that have never won certain trophies. We still look back at them and be like, they didn't win this, they didn't win that, but look at what they left behind. Look at the legacy, look at the pride they put on the pitch. Look at what it meant to their club. He was like the symbol of, a symbol or a beacon of hope. Maybe that person, the player themselves was the trophy. I'm looking at the likes of Totti when he was at Roma. Didn't exactly win everything, but look, he's got pretty much got a key to the city, which not many like, trophies can do. Ronaldo Nazario never won the Champions League. Buffon never won um, the, the the Champions League. They've got a World Cup, though. But they both do have a World Cup. And so Totti has a World Cup. That, that's sort of thing. And yeah, Totti, yes, all, Totti does so have a World Cup. They all have the gold. They have the biggest prize of all. They have the so. biggest prize of all. So, I mean, they may be another one in my, my argument. But I don't know. But look at someone like, all right, Matt Letizier. Look at someone like Matt Letizier. That's a good comparison. Great comparison. Someone who was, you know, a Southampton legend you know no, he was a premier league legend premier league. i'm upgrade that one premier league legend doesn't have a trophy to his i don't think he ever had a trophy to his name but his goals his love for the game his love for the club you know he's you don't hear many southampton fans really badmouth him nowadays look back and be like was it a waste of time did he lack ambition not going to a bigger club or was he happy where he was he wanted to take him to you know something better in, in, his, in as a result of his great you know commitment that like maybe I can't get I can't take you there but I can get try and get you there myself so I think it I don't know I think a, a player decides at some point of career what they really really want you're gonna go for one or you're gonna go for the other are you gonna become a club legend despite not having a trophy to a name vis-a-vis say Alan Shearer he won the Premier League but not with Newcastle and he's he's basically like He's basically like the second coming of Newcastle. I don't know. I think it depends on when the player... I think it depends on the player on what they really want to get to a certain age where it's like, you know what? I'm going to see my days out here and give something back and keep them to like a thing or be a part of something where they get them to like the next level. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But I think you do at least want to try and show something 
you know, the level for what you're giving, you want to try and sort of leave something behind. You know what I mean? So I think it's down to the player. Personally, I do think it's just down to the player. And I guess for you, Mark, what would be your your take on that position? And and this I wanna I wanna throw as an additional question onto that. Who's had a better career, Vardy or Harry Kane? Well, I, I think I think it it's a tragedy for a player as good as Harry Kane to have not won a trophy in his career, um, personally. And whilst I whilst I understand the argument, I also think it's an absolute tragedy that the best honour on Matt Letizia's rap sheet is full members cup runners up 1991 to 92 for a player of that ability and that talent. I don't even know what the full members cup was. Um, like, you know, so I, I think, I think for a player who, you know, could have gone to United and won so much. Um, I, I have to say, I, I think Letizia made the wrong decision career wise. I think, Shearer made the wrong decision career-wise, and I think Kane's making the wrong decision career-wise. I think Grealish made the right decision career-wise. But now saying all of that, life isn't all about career. And and I think at the end of the day, like, you know, these people are human beings before they're footballers. And, and you know, I think because of football being such a such a, a high-end, elite-level competition. There is this expectation that everybody gives their entire life to it and achieves their greatest abil- ability and potential in their career. Some are lucky, like Ronaldinho, who didn't you know, reach his potential and spent most of his time partying and chilling and was still in the top 10 footballers of all time, right? So some had, had that level of talent. Others made other choices. But, you know, at the end of the day, like... You know, you can ask me the question, would I look back on my, my career and be like, regret my career if I didn't work for the biggest branding agency in the history of branding and make loads and loads of money um, and, you know, coach all the top clients um, that there are? Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's a, a failure in, in potential if I'm, if I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing every day, if I love the environment that I'm in, if I like the people that are around me that I'm working with, right? Like, and, you know, I think we forget this too quickly in football with these guys that, you know, Leticia clearly liked Southampton. He had a nice environment going on there. It was a place where his career was happy. He got paid well enough. He had some success. He, you know, he won PFA Young Player of the Year and, you know, a Player of the Month quite a few times, got in the PFA Team of the Year, got a goal of the season one year. Like, you know, he'd, he'd done some stuff. And then, you know, one of the greatest honours, um, you know, he got the one club ban award, right? Like, you know, so that's a, that's a great honour in, in mm-hmm. you know, in, in its uniqueness uh, within football because not many people do that. And he did something that not many people did. So, you, you know, you got to... You gotta take it as it is, and I think every individual gets, like Matthew said, gets to make their choice. But from a purely career perspective, who's had the best career? Well, look, I, I think Kane is obviously the better footballer. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no, there's no doubt about that, and he scored so many more goals, and you know, is is you know, probably finished on average higher in the league than Vardy has most years. Um, but Leicester have a Premier League title. Um, you know, Vardy has an FA Cup um, and, you know, Vardy has a charity shield, you know, and, and, and therefore you look at that and you think, well, that makes it closer than he would have made it 
um, based on the nature of their talent. Mm. So I, I'm not sure I could give an answer. I think Kane's the better footballer who's had the better career. I think, I think it, you know, it's pretty close. It's definitely an interesting one. Yeah. What about a few? Who, who would you pick of the two? Um, I think, well, going back to what Marcus just said in this case of decisions, I think Vardy made, like I said before, Vardy made the right one staying at Leicester because I think you were tapping him for a time after they won. This, yeah, after, after they won. Because yeah. you didn't have like a recognised striker. I know you had like... like just, um, um, we had Giroud and Welbeck. Giroud, Welbeck and your main guys. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and Sanchez. But you're looking for someone who was, I think he was like in... Did he win the Golden Boot that year? I think as well. Yeah, 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 so I don't... I mean, so, but he was like... I could be the man at Leicester. So on that front, he's made the right decision. I think Kane's making the wrong decision by staying at Spurs. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, more talent, wrong decision, less talent, right decision. They've kind of balanced out quite well. Because it's like, I think Vivardi, he's got, he's already got his 100 goals. He's already got in his trophy cabinet. I think he was part of a really good England team that got to the semis in the 2018 World Cup. As far as I'm concerned, he's got, as far as the Leicester level is concerned, he's got nothing more to prove. But with Kane... Came to a Champions League final, getting to a Euros final. We're going again for it. He's got two more goals in these qualifiers. You know, he's showing no signs of slowing down. Strikers are, can, are staying fitter for longer. They're going harder. You know, these in the twilight years or like, you know, Suarez, um, Benzema and Lewandowski all defying age. He will be next. Um, he's He has time still for a top club to snap him up because in the strikers market that's what, just what you have to do so in a way he still has time to win a trophy if he chooses to move he's just not going to do it with spurs he's just not going to do it with them so in terms of their thing i think it's 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 this is here there's literally nothing in it because they both cancel each other out in terms of talent and decisions well i'll tell you what harry I, I think you know what you need to do this summer. You need to trade the white for red. But I think if you're brave enough, you should make it red and white. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. I think you should consider it. Go back to your, your your roots. Come home. The door is wide open. We will take you in with open arms. We'll call you our own. Even though we will forgive all the times you scored against us. <laughs> and we will help protect you from the noticeable abuse that will come your way too. Mm. That's all I'm saying. I think I think red and white will suit you quite nicely. It suited you when you were younger and it will suit you a lot nicer now that you've matured as a, as a human being and a striker. Looking ahead to the weekend, we've got some games coming up. Lots of games, lots of interesting games, lots of matches. Liverpool City at the Etihad. Are you going to do us all a favour? Are you going to do yourselves a favour? Are you going to pull off a, a, a much needed, well overdue beating of them for the good of the league and of the country for King and Queen? <laughs> Regent? I hope so. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll step up. We always do um, for, for the big ones. So, you know, I, I expect it to be a close game. I expect us to, to step up. But I, as, as is often the case, I expect there to be a period of suffering for both sides. And we'll see which side can handle their suffering the best. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's, what is it, two games in a row now that Earl and Haaland hasn't scored against Liverpool, um, so he'll be he'll be itching to to score if he's recovered from that apparent injury that stopped him from going on international duty, um, you know. So um, so yeah, I think he'll be I think he'll be eager, um, hopefully too eager. Um, but yeah, I, I expect a good game. I expect um, there'll be the potential of 
an upset, but I think Man City are obviously favourites. Yeah, they definitely are. How are you feeling about your game against uh, Villa at home? Well, the best of the worst versus the worst of the best. <laughs> 10, ah. well, 10 versus 11th. you got to love it. <laughs> that's how it is. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. You know what? If you win, you will finally hit that beloved 40-point margin. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I can shut up about it and I can be happy. <laughs> And I can be happy for the first time this season. Um, well, you know what it is? Even though it didn't go well against Everton, I don't think we didn't play too bad. I still will think I still think we're going in the right direction. Plus, Kante played a, a 60-minute game, I think, with the reserves last week. So having him back is going to be a big boost. If he's, And I also think he's looking to sign a new contract, whatever that means. Whatever we've got to do to shore up that leaky, leaky, albeit talented midfield. I'm all for it. I think we can win. I think we probably will win. I think you should win. We should win. You know, we're 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 worse than the best, which is better than better than me, best of the worst. So I'm finally getting to ninth place for crying out loud. So yeah, I think we're gonna. I think they'll score, but I think it'll be a what two three one maybe Madrid goal. A late push for Europe, or are you giving up on that? Don't deserve it. Well, no, no. This was a caveat. I'm only going to go for something like the Conference League if we just clear house and just smash it. Add another one to the list. Why not? Well, you won't know until you get there. True, true. But um, but look, I'm only in it if we're going to win it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Qualify for that chump change, whatever it is, and say, oh, Conference League. No, go in there and dominate. That's the only way I'm going to accept it. I mean, me personally, if it's a choice of Conference League and no European football, I'd take no European football just for my club's sake. I just think it's, I mean, we were in that boat a couple of years ago and I was just glad we'd be missed out on Conference League. Mm. It's just not, um, not great. But at West Ham, I hope you win it. I hope you do win it because I think it'd be great for your fans to have it. I'm not dismissing the competition. I just think for our clubs, it's just, it's just not where we should be. But I think for West Ham, it'll be a great marker for what's been an awful season and probably the end of David Morris's tenure there. But we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we've got Leeds at home. Leeds have quite a few injuries. Arsenal have a few concerns. Saliba's, we're not quite sure if he's going to be fully fit. Partey had a minor issue on international duty. Um, Rodri with his dirty tackles. Yeah, I saw you, bruv. Don't worry. <laughs> we're, we're coming for you. We're coming for you real soon. Nasty, nasty you. And then tried to complain about our players, Scottish players throwing themselves to the ground. Talk about the talk about irony. Coming from you, of all people, you and the the, the the nation you play for and all the diving at the World Cup, the audacity, the audacity. You need to just be quiet and just accept the fact that you guys got outplayed and beat 2 And it's not the first Rodri comment that is just frustrating too. I remember when Leicester came to the Etihad and beat them 5-2 and Rodri came out in the press conference after saying, yeah, no, they didn't deserve to win. We was comfortably the bad team. Mate, they put five past you. Shut your mouth. Like, have some respect. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yes, hold me. that. Take like, the L. <laughs> oh, man, Roderick. Oh, I, just, <laughs> just, I, just, I just can't believe it. And some some players, they just don't help them. That's why you guys need to need to punish them on the weekend. You need to punish them. Let them know. I mean, we've got a couple, obviously, a couple of other notable games I wanted to highlight as well. We've got Palace Leicester. Obviously, Hodgson's in the driving seat after Vieira got let go. Um, we know with Leicester, their season's been all over the place. Who are you backing to win that? Leicester or Palace or draw? What do you um, think? I think it could be a new, at home. A new offer at the Salas Park. Salas Park. Could be a new manager bounce. 1-2-0, maybe. Mark, who are you backing? Southampton or Leicester? No, sorry. 
Palace or Leicester? Palace, again, new manager bounce. Uh, you know, they'll lose their three games to follow. But, um, you know, Madison looks good. He, he's a bright spark for Leicester. But I, I think Palace will probably get across the line. All right. West Ham, Southampton is at the Olympic Stadium or London Stadium, they call it. Uh, Mark, who are you backing in that nil, game? Nil. No, no. Oh, Matthew? I can I wouldn't be surprised if Southampton nicked it. I would not be surprised. I mean, yeah. It's it's in them to do it. There's there's rumors there's been rumors swelling around online that this is a make or break game for Moyes. If he loses it, he's lost his job. Um and it's a shame actually, because he did the interview with um Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. If you haven't had read it, listen to that. I'd recommend it because it gives you a great insight into the thought process behind the squad this season, his time at um Manchester United, how it all went wrong how he got given the job. And I would say that is just not the way to, to do succession planning at all. It was poor from Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the many oversights he's had in his career. But anyway, uh, great success. He, he allowed to make a few mistakes here and there. But what was interesting is that what he did with the squad this season, he tried to make them more, more attuned for European football because his thought process was, we're, we're ready to make that step up now from being a top eight team into a top six team. That's kind of the thought process for let's bring in the type of players that are more flary, let's get ball on the ground more let's not do what we did last year which is be a low block counter-attacking team let's try and be more progressive and unfortunately the players just haven't bought into it I mean Antonio gave a comment on the podcast he does with Callum Wilson just kind of saying that he doesn't understand why they made this transition away from their way of playing to this way of playing which I think is quite telling mm. he did that I think he might have also said it as well in a, in a post-match interview but I think that was quite telling that the players haven't quite bought into what they what he wanted to do and it's affected them so badly. And it does happen at times when you try and change things too soon. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. So I, f- I hope for them, he can pull it around and get the result. But if not, it is where it is. And the last two games to mention, Newcastle versus Manchester United at um, St. James's Park. I was going to say St. Geordie Park, but it's St. James's <laughs> Park. Are you back in the Geordies? Are you back in the them lot from Manchester? Score draw. Score draw, Mark. Score draw, United loss or United win? Newcastle win. It's funny. I said United win. That like, applies to both of them. <laughs> so their fans were like, "Hey, bro, which one? There's only one United." Newcastle fans say it. Leeds fans say it. Man United fans say it. We all know the truth. Delete where appropriate. Um, and then lastly, Everton versus Tottenham. Oh gosh, we're having a crisis. Spurs. What are we saying? It's at in this at um, Goodison Park. Ooh. I mean, it's it's the definition of a mid-off. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Everton need the points. They're at home. They, you know, Daesh had a good first game, had a couple of ropey games in between. He's had a couple of decent performances, but not quite getting the results. So they could do an upset. Spurs have got rid of the shadow. Well, they got rid of one shadow leaming over their club. They have another one based on today's news. Um, so maybe it might work out in their favour. I mean, Son came out and said that he was very sorry for... Um, Conte losing his jobs and feels responsible. He hasn't performed this season, so you're right, you are responsible to an extent, but it's not just you, it's also a lot of your other colleagues. Um, and he really was a big fan of Conte and it's sad to see him go. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, I, I think maybe Everton. I think maybe Everton might have another, a little bit of a scout, catch Tottenham just a bit wounded. Yeah. Mark, what's your take? Um, I'm just looking back here, and Tottenham haven't won at Everton in their attempts at trying. Um, I think Everton will win. Come on, the Toffees. You know, you know what time it is. It's, it's just um, for, do it for Antonio Conte. Do it for Conte. 
I mean, do it for Ferguson, Duncan, not Sir Alex, <laughs> but definitely do it for Antonio Conte. I think he, you know, he he would definitely be happy for you doing him a favour and beating his his old club and proving that they are exactly what he said uh, and what we all think of them. And I don't have a bottle of water with me, but you know what the time it is. Obviously, there's the news that broke about um, uh, Fabio Patri Patrici, who has been given, had been given a 30-match ban from football, a 30-month ban from football and being involved as director of football. And it's now been extended to be global because he was banned from Italy and we all thought that was the end of it for Juventus and their whole COVID payment fraud scheme. So just to give you context, back when lockdown happened, a lot the clubs around the world agreed to, to um, and the players agreed to take a cut to their wages and not take the full amount. Juventus players had all agreed that publicly. In fact, I think the Italian league, all the clubs had signed up to a document saying we're all going to take a pay cut whilst, COVID, whilst the um, pandemic's going on. And then when things are back to normal, we'll kind of go back to our regular wages. Everyone signed it, everyone agreed. Unfortunately for Juventus, um, they were still playing, paying a number of their players the full salary off the books, which is illegal. And of course the players were not getting taxed because it wasn't being declared. And it's only because of an investigation that they found out that was the case, which led to the board resigning, the Agnelli family losing control of Juventus for after having it for so many decades. And all these all these directors greatly investigated. Patrici was their um, director of football at the time, and he has been found um, guilty. So, Mark, what's your take on this for Tottenham? I mean, it really is just just been a horrible week for them. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. And you know, I, I, on the one hand, I do feel sorry for the disarray, but at the same time, it is quite interesting to watch from the other side. Yeah, in all honesty, though, I I get the feeling that these two gifts that Tottenham have had this week are actually in their in their interest long term. Conte didn't want to be there. Tottenham didn't need him there. Being done with Conte and Tottenham. That that divorce is over. It's a been a nasty, nasty end, but it's done. And and I think it needed to happen. Um and you know, I think there is clearly there is clearly a split direction within the club on how they want to move forward. That that's clear because, you know, go back to, you know, Conte before Conte the the 16 million managers they interviewed in the process to getting to where they wanted to get to and eventually getting Nuno didn't work out got Conte um after not wanting Conte um and you know I think from what I've heard within the club it it seems as though um the the, the director of football and uh, you know some of his contingent are looking at the likes of Luis Enrique as their their kind of favorite to be the next manager and then you know obviously Poch there is reservations from both um both um Parachi and Levy I've heard but the you know obviously is in contention the the big you know one that wasn't expected was Nagelsmann leaving Bayern you know recently and I think he has all of a sudden became the favorite for the job and then there's Glasner in um Germany who I you know I, I think was wanted by Spurs and, you know, from what I heard, Levy's gone and talked to him, but I think that might have been parked now after, after Nagelsmann's um, available. You know what Levy's like for a bargain and buying a man out of a contract mm. is not something that, you know, he's going to do if he doesn't have to. Um, so, you know, with when, when there's two managers of Pochettino and um, Nagelsmann's quality on the table without having to buy them out of their contracts, um, I, I'd be surprised to see Levy go and, and, and negotiate with a club on getting a manager out of their contract. But look, I, I think if he leaves, Parakichi leaves, Tottenham will, will, will have to 
you know, figure out the direction that they're going to move in and how they're going to replace him and how they're going to move things forward. Uh, we'll see how that develops over the next 48 hours or so. But I, I actually think for Tottenham, this might not be the worst thing. It's um, trying times for the loud neighbours who have gotten beautifully quieter as the distance between us <laughs> extends week in and game week on. But yeah, I think I think we'll call it a day. There's lots of lots of drama. I mean, we we, we could get into Emma Ramvich and him oh, um, having owned Vitesse and was funding all the the dodgy loan transfers that Chelsea uh, did to them over the years. But I think we'll save Roman for next week. That's We're going to really dissect that one because, as is always the case with Chelsea, where there's a will, there's a way, and the way is always illegal. But anyway, that's. <laughs> <laughs> just the, that, that you know we, we said that the, the as Chiellini said that bottling is the history of the Tottenham we might have to say that cheating is the history of the, of the Chelsea but anyway we'll save that for next week but um, that's us wrapping up thanks for listening have a great rest of your day and let us know what you think is Harry Kane if he doesn't move on and win a trophy has he wasted his career is he a legend in your book is he the best striker in the Premier League or has he been passed over already by Erling Haaland um, that's us signing out. See you all next time. Peace.